What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rose, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Dew Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. Hello, everyone. Welcome into another episode of Kentucky Daily, a daily podcast covering your University of Kentucky Wildcats. I'm Sean Smith, joined by Derek Terry on this Mailbag Friday. Derek. How's it going, Sean? How you feeling? Feeling good. I've recovered. I can officially leave my house for the first time today since uh, it's like February 7th, I think, somewhere through there. I don't think I've been out of the house since then. Well, actually, I haven't been out of the house since the morning after Kentucky lost to Tennessee. Been so, a minute. Got another yeah. rematch tomorrow. I know, and I won't be there for that one. I'll be back at Rupp on Tuesday when Kentucky takes on Texas A&M, if Kentucky takes on Texas A&M, because I actually think that we can kind of look at that and think it might not be played, considering that they've not played since January 30th. Is that the day that the last day yes. that you found? Yeah, that's that's pretty concerning. And then given the weather that Texas has had. Uh, it definitely could be dicey when it comes to travel well, and stuff. They just had another positive test today in their program, so they're back on pause again. Like, it sounded like they were ready to play Alabama had the weather cooperated, but now they've got another positive test and on pause again. So, yeah, that one's going to be tricky. And, I mean, of course, Kentucky's only had one SEC game postponed, and that was against South Carolina. And what does talk today from John Calipari that, you know, they might add a few more games. After, after the March 2nd game, depending on what happens with South Carolina. Because South Carolina's got to play Ole Miss and Tennessee as well. Those games are postponed. So some other schools are in far worse shape in terms of um, getting games in this year. Yeah, yeah. Kentucky, obviously, the, the Texas game, they lost that one. But it uh, sounds like they will play someone outside of conference late in the season. At least they're looking at those options. But let's get into – to the mailbag. This is our first mailbag ep- episode in a while. Uh, I know we, we missed the last week. The first question comes from David Wood. If an assistant leaves the basketball team after this year, who will it be? And who would you like to see take their place on coaching staff? It, it's a hard one, Derek, because I think Bruiser Flint's locked in for a long time. I think he's there long long term at Kentucky. I think Jay Lucas is there. The only two that I would even throw out, honestly, would be either Tony Barbie if he wants to become a head coach again, or does Joel Justice finally get a head coaching offer? We know that he's been named one of the top assistants in college basketball under a certain age. I think what, – I can't remember if it was at under 40 or 40 or somewhere around there. It's It yeah. was a pretty impressive list that he was on. And he's he's inching towards getting a job. You think at some point Tony Barbie's going to try the head coaching thing again? Uh, I will say, I'll say Joel. I think that he's, I think that's a possibility. But given how weird this year has been, who knows what what jobs are going to be open? Will there be fewer jobs open given COVID or not? Yeah, I would think so. Um, my, my 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 prediction would be that nobody leaves. Uh, I would say that they have the same staff next year. Um, 
But if someone were to get it, like I don't think anyone's going to get fired, basically. So if no. someone were to leave, it would be for a head coaching job. I don't know that, like you're talking about with – for a guy like Joel, I'm trying to think, like I, I don't know that if you were hiring Joel, this, this year's record for Kentucky wouldn't hurt him at all. Like to me, it's just going to come down to if he can get the right job. Um you know, the ETSU job would have been a hell of a find to start your coaching career because it was a program that Steve Forbes was in great shape last year. I think they ended up hiring one of his assistants, right? If yeah. I remember, I don't remember who, but I, I don't know. It depends on what Joel wants to do. I mean, I would think maybe a few OVC type level jobs would come open, and if he wanted to go there, because when you think about it, Sean, like Cal's tree is not really Orlando Antigua went to USF which was a Big East school. I think it was still a Big East school at the time. I might have been in the AAC, actually, by that point. But who else has really gotten a head coaching job? Is anybody? Am I, am I just blanking on someone? Like, obviously, yeah. Kenny went to the Knicks to be an assistant. Passner, Passner, when he left Memphis, that was the only, but he, right. he stayed at Memphis. But then but in the 12 years there. at Kentucky, you know, it's been basically nobody. Yeah. So. I mean, Sloss left for an assistant job. Uh, other than Antigua, that's, that's really it, right? They've not had yeah, a lot of yeah. Strickland was there. But I just not- think like Joel, if he's if he wants to be a head coach, I there'll probably be I just don't think, you know, I think he's not to grind his way from the bottom, probably, to be honest, going yeah. from because it's not like he's got a long history of I think he was a high school coach, right? Before he came to Kentucky to be an analyst. Yeah. So I mean it's not like he's got a deep coaching tree throughout. So I think he'll um if he can land a land a head job somewhere small and work his way up, I think he could be a good fit for somewhere. Barbie's a little different because Barbie's been a head coach. He's been successful. His Auburn tenure was not successful though. So I think if you're a power five school hiring, you probably you might be a tough sell basically. Yeah. But uh I mean heck man, maybe DePaul, maybe something happens there. I know they're having a really tough year. You got the uh connection now with Dwayne Peavy being there. Maybe that would give one of those guys a better chance of getting that job. I have no idea what they plan to do up at DePaul. I just know that it's been a tough tenure for the guy who's there, and they're, I think, like 1-10 in, in their league this year. Uh, but I would say Joel or Barbie would be the only two because you're right about Bruiser. I mean, Bruiser had – I mean, he was a head coach for a very long time, but at this stage, honestly, he just gets a great offer. I doubt he's on a – I, I would say see, he's probably pretty comfortable being here with Cal again. I could see Bruiser finishing his career with Cal. Mm-hmm. I, I really could. Like, I could see it, you know, him staying at Kentucky long-term or whatever happens there. I also think that Kenny Payne at some point will be a head coach in college. Uh, you mentioned DePaul there with Dwayne Peavy. Uh, did they take a look at Kenny Payne moving forward? I don't know. Kenny's obviously having a lot of success with the Knicks and the way Julius Randle's playing. I'm assuming that the Knicks would love to keep Kenny Payne there as long uh-huh. as they can because uh, certainly he's benefited from having Kenny. But when it comes to – if anyone does leave, like I said, nobody's getting fired. It would be for another job. When it comes to who would replace them, I already think that that guy's already there in the in practices and on staff. I think Jay Lucas would just move up a, a, another net, a leather, another level on the staff. Honestly, isn't he? Is he not in a full time role? I thought he. I thought he got moved to full time role. I thought that was. Is it? I'm missing something. Maybe I read that wrong when it when all the details came out. I thought it was something this year, and then it would move into a, a more prominent role. I mean, they have five guys now. Yeah. Staff and then so County they got Barbie as the uh, his official title is the associate to the head coach, and they got Jay as an assistant recruiting coordinator. 
So the three assistants would be Jay, Bruiser, and Justice, but I don't know where Barbie falls into that. He's on the support staff, basically. Yeah. It, it was a little tricky when you uh, – the way it was kind of – when it went down yeah. and trying to figure out who was getting – because we were under the assumption that somebody was going to be leaving, and then it all worked out. So I don't know on the assistant of who would replace, like, once again, like Water Canals, Water Cows Connections. We've already went – Bruiser Flint was an easy one. Uh, just mm-hmm. given their history and stuff. But other than that, I really can't think of a lot of guys outside of that. Yeah, my knowledge of basketball assistants who are like the top recruiters is very – like I remember the name Jay Lucas, but I didn't remember – I didn't even know he was coaching, honestly. Like I just remembered him as a player. And so when they said Jay Lucas, like I, that name just registered. But had you told me a year ago, like asked me what Jay Lucas was doing, I would have had no clue that he was an assistant. So I don't feel like – um. Like, I think college football assistants are much more well-known than college basketball assistants. Yeah. Uh, probably because the whole coordinator deal, for sure, would be the obvious reason why we would know more uh, more of those guys when they become head coaches. But well, the college can, basketball yeah. carousel is just really interesting to me compared to college football. Well, in a normal year, the head coach is the only coach that speaks after a college basketball game. When it's a normal year in football, you got coordinators, you got uh, position coaches, everybody uh, does interviews. So it's, it is significantly different. But uh, – I don't really know many names right now if, if it comes down to that. I could actually see Kentucky, if somebody did leave, Derek, that they might not even hire another position there. I mean, they've yeah, they I mean, went they got, with four assistants. They were with four people on staff for a long period of time. Well, that's the thing. I mean, if someone did leave, you could just slide Barbie right back over, aerobic, whoever. I mean, you got two guys who have been with Cal a long time. I, that's probably the most likely scenario, to be honest with you, if somebody did leave. Yeah. Uh, the next question comes from Brandon. And he said, should UK go after a Carleek Jones type of transfer, parentheses, the scoring guard? I think that I actually mentioned this a month or so ago when we were talking about what Kentucky needs when it comes to filling out a roster for next season. I mean, look at what Louisville did. You know, you had not get a scorer like that. Uh, I think if they obviously – that's the, the position that they need, right? They need a scorer. They need somebody who can create and get their own. I don't know, outside of Trevor Kills – who is the guy that you go after? You can't. I mean, other. I mean, Jaden Hardy. You'd love to have him, but that's. I don't think that's happening. Uh, certainly, looks like Hunter Salas isn't going to happen. Um, I think that the only option would be to get kills, or you look at the the transfer market and see. But that's. I think it's a little bit harder to find. But it does seem like there's more. It's easier to find a guard than it is a big man. Or when it, or uh, sorry, a big man than a guard when it comes to the transfer market. It always seems like it works out for the big man, but not as much in the backcourt. Does that make sense? Yeah, especially if you look at UK. Um, I mean, the big man you've had Reed, Sar, Sestina. Is anybody else? That's just the last three years, though. I mean, they've added someone every year. And then guards. I mean, Mintz was the first grad transfer guard since Julius Mays, right? Yeah. So, um. And then, of course, it won't be a grad transfer this year, but they've already added another transfer in, in Sheboy. So that's, you know, four straight years, basically, you've added a big to help their roster. Um, like I was saying the other day, if they're going to add a – like, I think it makes sense to add a veteran guy if you can find one that fits. But I, I would want it to be like a two-guard probably just because I don't know that you need to load the roster with another point guard unless you're just convinced that Devin Askew can be a really productive two next year. So I don't. I just don't think that it's necessary to have a grad transfer point guard, Devin Askew, Davion Mintz, and Nolan Hickman all on the same roster. So 
Maybe if you can find a good fit for the two guard. Like I said, I looked at some names. Like you do get a bunch of guys, and Carly Jones is probably the exception because he's obviously a terrific player who his scoring has translated well from Radford to the uh, to the ACC. But I think for a lot of those guys, I'd be a little bit skeptical. Like if you're a leading scorer, if you average 20 a game, like at Howard, how does that translate? I think it's just a risk for Kentucky to put a whole lot of trust in someone like that. Um, well, especially when it's a need. Like yeah, you, yeah. I mean, like you're coming to a roster that's going to have Oscar Shubway and it's going to have Keon Brooks probably, and a lot of these guys. Uh, that's the thing. Like they're not going to average what they're averaging wherever they are right now. I just don't yeah, see and that. He, and like Jacob Toppin, like his transfer deal, I mean, he was a supplemental piece, basically a, a project that you could bring along and groom. I mean, no one was expecting him to play. One didn't know if he'd even play this season at all, and then two you weren't going to be counting on him for huge minutes. Whereas if you bring in a, you know, a grad transfer next year, you're probably going to expect a, you know, a lot from that guy. So well, I'll be curious though, man, because from what we've seen with the transfer portal in football, and it's not to say it will be the same in basketball, but there are some names that go into the transfer portal in football that just like make you say, wow, like didn't well, think that guy was going to be coming. I mean, who's to say that a five-star guard somewhere who's a sophomore or something wouldn't enter the portal and UK might have a chance at him. So that's why, I just want to wait and see because, I mean, you'll have a – like we said, the coaching carousel, things will happen. Uh, I mean, who knows who's going to end up there. That's why I think they're going to be patient. Uh, I think Kills, I don't think he's in any kind of rush to announce. But I think even if they added Kills, you could still find room for another transfer as well in the backcourt. I mean, look at Oscar. Like, when I left to go to Mississippi State, Oscar was rumored to be going into the portal, and then a week later he was committed to Kentucky. Yep. Uh, we didn't We didn't see that coming. And that's an elite level talent that you add to your roster. That's the thing. What guard around college basketball right now that's at an that's at a power five school gets upset when a head coaching change is made, or just doesn't like the situation that they're in right now, and decides to enter the portal? I mean, that's that's the I guess that's the headache that all coaches are having to deal with now because you could say the same thing for Kentucky. Like, what happens? Who goes in the portal and is playing elsewhere? You know, eight nine months from now. Uh, but there is one solution, and I keep coming back now to what you said and what you've been saying. I think I'm pretty sure you said this on the podcast. I know we've talked about it. Uh, out of all the guys that could fill the spot that we're talking about next year, and I don't think it's going to happen, and I'm not even going to entertain it in my mind, but if Terrence Clark for some reason did decide to come back to Kentucky, boy, would that be the perfect fit to what the roster needs. Yeah, I mean, it would be. And um, it's, it's just crazy that a guy who's not played since December because of him. So he's going to go whatever the draft things. Like, I don't know how – I mean, like at football, is there even a combine? I don't think there is this year, right? I mean, who's to say that there's not been an NBA combine? If you're going off film in college, like he's got a little bit of film. But I don't see any way a team's going to take a first-round pick on him. No. This year, but if he doesn't, if he just wants to go get paid to play, I mean, I'm not going to fault a kid for that if that's what they want to do. I just think uh, if he would show a little bit of patience, it would pay off for him in the long run, and it would certainly help Kentucky out in the long run. But uh, no, he would be because then you could get to a point where even if, you know, Hick, I mean, you, you could start a, like to me, a lineup of, of Hickman or Mansurasky, whoever, like, Two of those three, basically, those guys I just named, plus Clark Brooks and, and Sheboy or Collins or whoever it is that wins the five job, 
it's a pretty good team, you would think. I mean, it's enough to dream on going into the season. But, yeah. I mean, yeah, if you think he's out of the picture, I mean, I think you certainly have room to add two guys, especially if there's any kind of transferring. I mean, transferring is pretty standard in college basketball. It's standard at Kentucky now. I mean, someone's pretty much leaving every year. So if you're expecting any kind of roster, uh, roster turnover from Kentucky, I think you got more than enough room to, to add a couple of guys. Yep, I agree with that. And then the next question comes from Ben. It actually flows into what we're talking about with whole roster construction and everything. Will Scott Clark reclassify into 2021? And if he doesn't, who is the point guard next year? Um, I, I think the point guard next year topic's Actually intriguing because you could see it being Devin Askew, but you and we've been talking that we really like Nolan Hickman at that spot. We like the uh, moving Askew off the ball, but Askew can still play point, and I still think that Askew's impact at Kentucky will be away from the ball, especially if he can get to the point that he's a 35 36%, 37% three-point shooter. And also into this too, Derek, as each day goes by, I'm kind of more convinced that Davion Mintz is going to be at Kentucky next year. So if that's the case, I just don't see room for Sky, really. I mean, yeah. you're going to get Mintz back. And I think we mentioned that a little bit. Well, yesterday. we always thought that Askew would be the one that impacts whether Sky Clark reclassifies. We didn't even think about Davion Mintz. But now that they're probably both going to be on the roster yeah. and you have Nolan Hickman, uh, who knows what happens with Dante and stuff. I mean, Sky can obviously play off the ball. And then who does Kentucky add in the mix? So then, it, honestly, it works out better. As as big a fan of Sky as I am, it actually works out for your program. I would rather have Davion Mintz on next year's roster than Sky Clark. And that's Thank nothing you. to Sky Clark. But then you've got 22 still being pieced around a point guard and Sky Clark. That's why I think it works out. If you can get a guy who has experience in Mintz and then leave Sky where he is to continue being that centerpiece. And here's the thing about Sky Clark. Everything that he's putting out on social media right now is exactly what you want to see from your one guy that you have signed or uh, committed for 22. It's been all positive energy for him. Well, the interesting thing, too, about 22, and you talk about Scott being able to play off the ball, it seems like they're the, the front runner to get Jaden Bradley, too. I yeah. mean, at least come by the crystal ball pick. So if you think you know he's a top 10 player, I believe, or top 15, you could see a kind of a two-point guard or if Scott's a combo guard or whatever. I mean, a guy who can play away from the ball, then – your backcourt might already be set for that class, um, which would be interesting. I, Hickman, I know he's skinny. I know that he's, you know, at least in the U.K. side of things, was very unknown up until literally the day he committed. Uh, he wasn't on anybody's radar. I mean, he was on the scouts' radar, but not, not U.K. basketball followers, not their radar. So I know there are some people who have some concerns that he'll be able to come in and be as effective next year as they're going to need someone to be. Uh, but, I mean, I, I think back to what Evan Daniels told somebody that, you know, he thought about when it was all said and done, Hickman would end up being the best point in this class. And whether that happens next year or the year after that, I mean, I think he could come in. And when I'm thinking about Hickman, it's really just because I just – from what we seem to ask you this year, I, I'm not sure that, you know, they're going to go through that again next year with him at point guard. I just think they're going to give him a full offseason to, to commit to things off the ball. Um, next year he could still play a little bit of point when he needs to, but not in a scenario where he's like the only option. Um, so, yeah, I, I, I think you – know, we talked about it a lot going back to like August and September. I, I would keep Sky in 22 unless unless Mintz decides he doesn't want to come back and if something crazy happens and ask you who is adamant that he's going to be here next year, 
I mean, unless something changes there, then I don't see any reason to bring him in. No, I don't either. Uh, next question comes from Tanner. Who is likely UK's next basketball commitment, and when do you think that happens? Any class? That's a that's a hard question, Derek. Just given, I mean, there's so many options really when it comes to whether it's this year. Do they take another guy for 22? Does somebody look at reclassing? Um, I mean, obviously they just you know got in on Trevor Kills. You could kind of see that one maybe coming down sometime in March or somewhere in the spring. I, I don't really know right now it's kind of uh with COVID and not being able to have visits and everything it's kind of made it a little bit different hasn't it like it's changed the timetable I think for a lot of these guys yeah that's it's a hard one to answer because like we're just talking about Bradley like there are guys you can look at Nick Smith for example who doesn't even have an offer but is getting crystal ball picks to Kentucky so it's hard to know like a timetable for when these things might happen but like in 21, there there's no obvious guy that they're in front for. I mean, Kills is the name now, but most people are still saying that they think Duke will win out on that. Um, so that's that's kind of a tricky thing uh, to answer. But what I don't really know is if they're going to go Trevor Kills or bust in 2021. If they don't get him, will they look? And I don't think there are any 22 options at guard, are there, that – any guys that are thinking about reclassing? None that I've heard. So I think they would probably go to the transfer market if they didn't get killed. So if that's the case, like your next commitment might be a a transfer, really. I mean, potentially. Is is this a thing where, as an assistant, are you sitting there watching other college basketball games, just keeping an eye on some on people? You obviously you can't contact. I mean, there's you can't tamper and things. But as as a coaching staff, are you? With more downtime this year, you know, you're not on yeah. the road recruiting, you're doing Zoom calls from home. Are you turning on games on ESPN and looking at the Big 12? Are you turning on games and looking at the ACC and just saying, hey, look, let's just keep an eye on this? But are you, are, yeah. is, that, is that what's going on, you think? I would say somebody is. I mean, I don't know if it's one of the full time. I mean, they got plenty of support people. There might be someone who tracks that, you know, um, maybe people keep a spreadsheet or something of guys who could be potential grad. I think the other way it used to be, maybe some grad transfers is who you would primarily focus on. But now you would, you know, I don't know. I don't have any full proof that any, I, I just think you'd have to be really naive to think there's not some kind of tampering going on with the transfer portal. So many kids. Somebody's family's talking. Well, to hold on. And then, and I'll be like, I don't think it's a bad thing to me. It makes total sense to like, Maybe not necessarily from the school's end. I mean, you need to be careful if you're a school. But if you're the kid, and we've seen how many guys go into the portal versus guys who find lending spots, I think it makes a whole lot of sense to be on the same page as a school before you even think about entering the portal to know that, hey, you're going to have a spot if you decide to transfer here. Again, I got no proof that that's going on. I just think you would have to kind of have your head buried in the sand. I think there's not – I'm not saying that, like, coaches are straight up calling kids and saying, hey, come play here. But, I mean, I think there are workarounds to that to getting kids to come play for you. So maybe you some coaches target some guys. Some some people might find a better option somewhere else and they might think about, you know, taking advantage of it. I don't I don't know, but I mean, I just to me that's kind of how it seems and I really don't blame either side for wanting to try to get on the same page before they go and do anything like that. And Brandon also has another question. And this is the perfect moment, Brandon, for me to insert a butcher's pub ad. Brandon said, also just want to hear about how good that chicken sandwich is at the butcher's pub. <laughs> well, Brandon, or sorry, not Brandon, excuse me, Tanner. 
Tanner has another yeah. question. It's about the pub. I'm so sorry. Well, Tanner, I'll tell you this. It is the most delicious mouth-watering sandwich I've ever had in my entire life. And you can get it at two locations. You can get it at Palmville, Kentucky, and you can get it at Williamsburg, Kentucky. And here in a few weeks, you can get it in London, Kentucky. And when quarantine and all this is over and we can return to some sense of normal, I'll meet every single person at a butcher's pub location somewhere across Kentucky, and we'll literally just eat like buffalo chicken sandwiches like crazy uh, because it's, it's just fantastic. And you know what else they have now, Derek? They actually have homemade brownies with a side of ice cream drizzled with chocolate syrup. So they're adding more to their menu. Goodness. So Goodness. I uh, I can, yeah, I can. Uh, that's, I've only been to the butcher's pub one time. I don't get out that way much. But uh, I, can, I can attest to the buffalo chicken sandwich being delicious. So it's a good call. I mean, my fiance had some uh, mac and cheese that was, that was delicious. I mean, there are plenty of options there. And I don't believe we got dessert when we were there. Yeah. A lot of good things. Go check it out. I mean, I think that uh, – do you know the location of the one that's going to be going to London? I don't. Will it be off the interstate or will it be like downtown? I want to think – I'll ask him. I'll send him a text and see if he'll get back to me. Um, it's going to be on Main Street in London, so I'm okay. assuming that would be downtown. I'm not exactly sure where, but that page is already growing quite a bit too. Well, it's worth it's worth getting off the interstate and driving down and, and having it for sure. It is. So I've mentioned that they have the the pages for the Palmville and the Williamsburg. There's also the Butcher's Pub London, so you can follow that page as well. So there's three Butcher's Pub pages. Specials. Uh, the the main menu is the same, but they offer different specials on different days at all those locations. Other than Wing Wednesday, that'll be at all three locations. But you can visit the butcherspub.com or check them out on any of those Facebook pages that I've mentioned. Uh, next question, Derek, comes from Ethan. And uh, this is one that you got to – we kind of got to wait and see what happens. It, it's more transfer portal stuff, but it's uh, do you think Kentucky could, should look at Dylan DeSue as a transfer? He's looked pretty solid against us So with, when he put a question mark. So, yeah, he has looked pretty solid. What uh, It's been like career games every time that he faces Kentucky. Uh, but that's also one of those situations where you, you don't – you can't go after somebody until they're in the portal, but certainly if he enters the portal, yeah, why not? But then you got you also got a one or two SEC to SEC transfer and how that works out. Yeah, and I have no idea where he is, like, in terms of a draft board, but I got to think, to me, he's probably too good to, to leave Vanderbilt. Like, I think he fits that system really well. He's, you know, one of their best players, gets a ton of minutes, and he's, he probably – he might be able to leave after next year, basically. So I don't know that it would really make sense for him to to decide to transfer. But I mean, he is a great Anderson player. Talent he, coming into Vandy, right? A little. I mean, I don't think it's enough. To, they got a couple three stars that are, I think, like top one fifty guys. So yeah, probably better than what they've got down there right now, but not enough to totally shift things. I wouldn't think for next year unless they just totally hit on a under the radar kind of guy. But I, I do. I like this too a lot. Um, I mean, crushed Kentucky the other night, twenty nine points. Uh, He's a good player. I mean, between him and Pippen, those are two good guys. There's just not enough around those guys to to to, to consistently win. They, they've pushed Kentucky twice. Um, they pushed a lot of teams, really, to be pushed honest. But year, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, a lot of years, really. I mean, it's when I was down in Nashville, you're probably there too. I really don't remember because it's been a few years. But the Tyler Hero year that was like one of the last times I remember UK like winning comfortably against Vanderbilt. <laughs> so it doesn't always happen a lot. I think Vanderbilt was 0-18 that year in the league. But he's a good player. I mean, if he if he were to go to the portal, he would have 
everybody, I would say, coming after him next year. But I think he is a solid you know, nucleus at Vanderbilt. I, I would be surprised if he left. And Trey has some thoughts about the fan base. He says, one, the same people that complain about players not staying for three or four years are the same ones saying, if I was Allen, I'd transfer. And two, someone tell the fans that Cal isn't always yelling at the players because he's not. He's yelling at the refs usually. Uh, <laughs> Derek, I think you and I both can confirm that Cal yells at the officials probably more than he does his guys. Like, it seems like Cal every game, like, will lose his mind for about a minute, minute and a half stretch just yelling at officials. And I have done some photo stuff when Keeley hasn't done some of the road games, and I've literally been sitting on the floor. I, I can confirm that he does yell at the guys, but he also yells at the officials, I think, even more, honestly. He's on, he's on them from start to finish. Somehow he never loses his voice either, which I've never understood, because he just is yelling all, all day, every day. Practice, games, he's just yelling. Um. It is tough. I mean, <sighs> Kentucky's a hard program to keep kids around for sure. I mean, if you're screaming for Allen to leave, I don't, I don't know why you would do that. I mean, the, the tough thing with the whole Allen situation is like, I think people are just so emotional about it, pretty much, where like your, your judgment gets clouded. I think because he's from Kentucky and. If you've already made your mind up that Cal's unfair to the kid, then you know him playing three minutes against Vanderbilt's not going to do anything to change your mind, and you're going to think that he's just too good to be not playing basically on this team. And it's almost like you're you're saying that he needs to leave out of the benefit because you like the kid so much. Whereas, you know, if you if you're cheering for Kentucky though, like, I think it would be advantageous for Kentucky to keep Dante Allen around for a few more years, and maybe he's not ready this year, and maybe not even next year. He might not quite be ready, but hey, maybe his junior year. You know, maybe you don't sign a five-star kid and you need a, a junior kid from the state who can shoot the ball pretty well to step in there and play more. I mean, because, I mean, think about, like, to me, Dante's ended up in the same situation, like, that we talked about Juzang and Baker. I mean, those are two guys who've been playing a lot on this year's team. Yeah. And you could, you know, you can rationalize why they left. You can say, well, Johnny Juzang, you know, there were two five-star shooting guards coming in. I, I can understand that from his perspective, but, well, one of those guys got hurt and the other one was not quite the um, – at least for most of the season, has not been the elite talent that we thought he was going to be. So I have no doubt that he would have consistently played more minutes. And I kind of view the same thing. I mean, even more for Dante, like you don't have a five-star guy coming in as of now, next season. Uh, does that mean you're going to be guaranteed minutes? I don't know. I mean, if Minson asks you are there, you're still going to have to work hard to earn them. I mean, you got Toppin who can play some three. Keon can play if he needs to. I mean, but that's the thing about playing at Kentucky is he's not going to have any year probably where it's just flat out, hey, you're going to play 30 minutes a game. I mean, it's going to be – an uphill climb every year, and I can understand why some kids would would want to go somewhere. And I don't view that as like quitting. I know, not to get on a soapbox, but I, I think people have probably loosened, like, softened their views on transferring than how it used to be. Like yeah. in the last ten years, I mean, it used to be like a crime if you wanted to transfer. It's like, oh, he quit on the team. He doesn't want to be there. Whereas now, I think it's a little bit more player friendly, where people realize, like, hey, if you're going to have to grind it out and play just to play 20 minutes at Kentucky, if you can go somewhere else and play 35, like if that's what you want to do, then I don't see any problem with that. So that, that's going to be Dante's choice, depending on where he wants to go. I bet he would probably play a whole lot more at some other schools. But the development that you can get at Kentucky and the stage you're going to be on, that if you're patient and you develop, the minutes will be there. I mean, if you're the best player, Cal will play you. You will have a chance to go to the NBA. Like Those are all things that have been proven since Cal's been here. Yeah, and with Dante, too, 
some people think that it's it's our fault. Well, not ours, but can media that it's our fault that Dante in this situation has kind of been what it's been because we were calling for him to get an opportunity and then he got his opportunity. Then now it's kind of gone this way, but like you and I've talked about, we weren't really like screaming that he had to play Dante Allen, but it just didn't make sense that he hadn't played him to the point that he did. Like when it got to the first week of January. Yeah. I think we had both like made it very clear that no one was calling him the savior, just that like, Hey, this team's pretty bad. They can't shoot at all. What would it hurt to give him a chance? Yeah, and he in his performance in Starkville, it sparked that three that three win three game win streak that they had. I mean, that was a huge moment in the season. But I'll also say this too: uh, I think Dante Allen's confidence has disappeared when it comes to he was confident that game and the games after that. But now when he goes in, I think it's I do think that he's kind of been put in bad situations where. He's been sitting on the bench for 15 minutes and he goes in for a two- or three-minute stretch. Uh, I still think that they're going to need him at some point, Derek, and I think he's going to eclipse 20 minutes again at some point. They're going to have to have him at some point, just given they're going to need shooting one game, a team's going to go zone for a period of time, and I still think that he's going to make an impact. I just uh, I hope that that he – I hope he sticks around because I hope that his confidence – that, you know, Cal's talking about building your own confidence and stuff, that I think that he can finally, you know, have another moment and stick it out because about what I said a couple of weeks ago, where with this blanket waiver, he's essentially a freshman again next year. And then if it's not working out, he can transfer and figure it out. But uh, I do think that he is lacking confidence now when he goes in and stuff. It's, it's not the same as it was a few weeks ago. Plus teams are now game planning for that. Well, and he was, you know, he played 24 minutes at Alabama on January 26th. He hit four threes that game. So in 24 minutes, you know, four for seven from three, since then, he is two for ten yeah. in the five games since. So not playing anywhere near as many minutes either. It looks like he's averaging uh, 26, 35, uh, 40, 46 minutes in the last five games. Yeah. So yeah, well, it's like nine minutes a game, pretty much something like that. So not, um, not yeah, certainly not really in the rotation right now. You would say. I mean, a little bit here and there. Very clear. Cal wants him to shoot the ball when he gets in there, and. Uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, I agree with you. I think there's going to be another point. In one of these last few games, he's going to get, you know, more minutes than what he's getting right now. But I just don't really see uh, if BJ is going to be hitting some shots and Toppin's playing okay. And, you know, I, I, think, I just think it makes sense that he's not been playing as much. But You're we'll also, see. I mean, it's he's, he's been up and down for sure. He's had didn't play at all, then he played a lot, and now he's back to really not playing at all. So I'm sure mentally that's probably tough on him. You're also a positive COVID test or an injury away from him having to play yeah. a ton. Like that's the thing that that's why you've got to be prepared to play every single night. That goes for everybody on the roster, including Cameron Fletcher. You just never know when it's going to happen. Uh, next question. We got a couple more. Jay Lucas. Does Jay Lucas regret leaving Texas? I'm going to say no. I don't think he regrets it. I think uh, Texas is where he played. Obviously, Shaka Smart has got the program moving in the right direction again. But Jay came to Kentucky because of opportunity that Kentucky presents, not just, you know, from being in that program, but from a coaching standpoint. And I think that Jay's best days at UK are are ahead of him, not behind him. He's not been here long enough, I don't think, to regret anything. Oh, yeah. I mean, I don't think he regrets it at all. I mean, it's it's a big-time opportunity to go coach at one of the premier basketball programs. Texas was home for him. I mean, he's got that experience under 
Shaka Smart, but I mean, you think about this. This helps Jay a lot when the day that he wants to become a head coach. I mean, he's coached under Jay or uh, under Shaka Smart. Now he's coached under John Calipari. Played under Rick Barnes. Those are all respected guys in college basketball. Um, Billy Donovan. Things too. he can learn. Yeah, and, and I played for Billy Donovan. So I mean, he's got plenty of guy. I don't know what the relationship's like. But I'm sure it's fine. But uh, it made a lot. I mean, just thinking about what it does for you in your future. I mean, that's an easy call to me, in my opinion. And I mean, I, I know Texas has had a good year this year. I'm, I'm pretty sure they're still doing fine. I'm not kept up with the Big 12 much, but obviously at the time that Kentucky was supposed to play them, they were one of the top teams in the country. So in that respect, yeah, it would have been good. But if you remember, I mean, Shaka Smart was like on the hot seat either at the end of last year or, well, I mean, here recently. So for him, he's probably thinking I can go somewhere where, I mean, Cal, as long as he's at Kentucky, like he's not going to get fired from UK. If he leaves, it's going to be because he wants to go have a challenge somewhere else or retires or whatever. Um, so no, I don't think Jay regrets it at all. I think it was a good career move for him. No, Texas is number twelve in the country right now and fourth in the Big Twelve. So they're they're right there in that position to where they can make a possible run in the NCAA tournament. Uh next question, I think we have two more. Probably redundancy, but continued discussion of the two and three position for next year is appreciated. Uh we've already kind of discussed, you know, what those positions we haven't really, you know, got into the three spot. You and I've it seems like every night have a text message or two about what the starting lineup or what the rotation could look like next year. And you got kids like Keon Brooks who can float three and four Jacob Toppin, something that me and you both, I think have hated for the longest time was him being at the three. But yet when you turn on clips and watch him come off those pin downs and stuff, you text me and said, that looks like an NBA player when he yeah, came I'm off that thing. And he's definitely got to work on his three point shot though. If you're not playing as a three. Yeah, yeah, he does. And just uh, I could see him if they get to a situation. I could, Like you said before we started recording, Keon Brooks playing the three. I know we've not been a big fan when Cal plays three bigs, but I think that Keon's versatile enough. Uh, you want guys like that on your roster that can play more than one spot. Uh, that's why I'm talking about Devin Askew moving off the ball and knocking down shots. Play him some at the two next year. As long as you have a point guard, Nolan Hickman, whoever it is, that can run the one – then you got guys like Keon and Jacob Toppin there, three, four. Uh, I do think that there's not a certain – I don't know if this roster is going to have a guy that's just your prototypical three-man. You know, they don't have a Michael Kidd-Gilchrist or a guy like that that they've had at certain points in, in this program. I, I don't see a guy like that. I think it kind of either has to be a, a guard like they've done at times with Isaiah Briscoe, Monk, and Fox, or even Briscoe pretty much got pushed to the three when it was Murray and Ulysses. Is it a situation where Askew, and they just go with the three-guard lineup next year of Hickman, Mintz, and Askew? I don't know. Uh, I think that is that, that's that's kind of the the question, right? Who we know what yeah. they need at that spot, but if they can't go get it, then it kind of has to be by committee type thing. I'm gonna guess if Clark doesn't surprisingly come back, or they just don't land an absolute stud in recruiting or in the transfer market, like. As of now, if you're asking me to look at next year's roster, I would guess Keon's going to be the three, just because you got more options that way. I mean, if you want to put Collins and oh, I wouldn't love it, but if you wanted to put Collins and Sheboy together or even Toppin out there, like to me, there are more options of doing that versus I don't know playing Hickman, Askew, and Mintz all together. Like I just think that's not going to happen. So um, if Cal wants to play big, I, I'm going to guess Keon's a three, but can play some four. I, I like Keon more at the four spot, but I mean, it's not like he's a, 
I mean, he's kind of got prototypical small forward size, actually. I mean, six seven two oh five. So, I mean, in some ways, he's kind of an undersized four, but he's more of a modern four where you can stretch him out and he rebounds really well. So that helps when you're going to do that. But if he ever, I feel like Cal's going to lean to him being a three. Yeah. If he ever, if he ever develops a consistent three point shot, that's what he would be in in the NBA is a three. He's not going to be a four, I don't think. Uh, But you want guys like that on your roster who can kind of move and play multiple spots and positions like that. Isn't he just like crazy more explosive this year too? It seems like maybe he just didn't get a chance to show it last year, but he's just like a kind of like a freak athlete. It seems well, like now. I did not think of that about him last year. <laughs> no, that's like when he dunked the ball the other night that should have been dunking, not a charge. I didn't see that coming. I'm, I'm Lord. Oh. When he did that, it actually come up out of my seat. Because I was like, holy cow. Putbacks this year at Florida on the fast break. He just got elevated really well. I mean, he's just uh, he's a very good athlete. I mean, he really is. He's, he's well, a terrific leaper. How about the move he made the other night, too, where there was an offensive rebound in the middle of the lane, and he, like, he did a move and, like, kind of hopped between two guys and went up off two feet and just about got an and one. Uh, just those things. Uh, I think. The way that he impacts games, like he didn't score a ton the other night, but he was able to, you know, make some plays passing the ball. Like Cal got mad at him one time for the pass to Olivier Saar, and it hit Saar in the hands. But Saar bobbled it so badly that it looked like he kicked the ball. And like Keon was like, Cal was like, he, Cal like reached down to the floor. And Keon looked yeah. at him with his hands out like, bro, it hit him in the hands. Like, you know, <laughs> that was the funniest thing. But Saar, uh, I think that is Saar's one big problem. There were a couple of plays in that game oh, that balls hit him right in the hands, <laughs> yeah. and it led to something going the other way. Like you texted me one time, you're like, "Come on, man!" Like, like the ball hits you right in the yeah. hands. That's how I said it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's how you yeah. said it. <laughs> All right, last question here, and I think it's uh, the one that honestly it makes us think a little bit here. And I already know where you're going to go with this, so I'm going to go a different direction. What home-and-home series would you like that doesn't include Duke, North Carolina, Kansas, or Indiana? Home-and-home with Duke would be cool, though, because they've never done it. If you could give me that one right now every single year, I would take that just because it's never been done. Like Kentucky's never went to Cameron, and then Duke has never come to Rupp to play Kentucky. They've played in Rupp. But I know where you're going, so let's go ahead and go your direction first, and then I'll take it another way. Yeah, I said Gonzaga. Um, anyone who stayed up late and watched the game out there, uh, great atmosphere. It's a small gym. I, I just think the chance for Kentucky, I just think it would be wild. You'd have college game day out there if both teams were as good as you would think they would be. It's a quality opponent, obviously. So it's not like you're, you know, it's going to help your team basically by going out there and playing. And then, of course, Gonzaga coming to Ralph, I think it would just be awesome for fans to uh, come watch a program that, you know, you don't really see in person ever. I mean, I've from covering college basketball and traveling a lot for tournaments, things like that, like I've watched or been in the same arenas, you know, quite a few college basketball programs, but I've never been in the same venue as like Gonzaga. And I think that would be really cool. Uh, if they were there? to come here. You know, Ralph would be juiced. Oh, were they in Boise? They were in Boise, weren't yeah. they? Yeah, I, I was, was like, uh, hold sick. on a second. <laughs> I was sick out there. I was like, I don't really remember anything about that trip. Uh, <laughs> Just Nate Oates talking trash to Cal is basically what I remember. From I was that. like, I know that you were on that trip with me. I know that you were I, there. I would guess that that trip's like ingrained in your brain forever uh, as you drove so far. I guess that trip to Atlanta the next week for you was just like hopping in the car and going down to the store or something compared to 
what it was. But yeah. so I'll take that back then. I, I do not remember it at all, but apparently I have been in the same place as uh as Gonzaga, but mm-hmm. still for the home and home atmosphere, I mean I think the fans at Rupp deserve a chance to watch a premier program like that come to Rupp Arena. It would be really and for those really of good you, and for those of you who have no idea what Derek's talking about, I decided with Terry Brown, who was writing for Cameron Mills Radio at the time, we decided on Sunday night after the snowstorm at the SEC tournament that we were going to drive to Boise, Idaho from Kentucky. Somehow, Derek, we pulled it off, but it took me a month to recover. Like, I don't know how I even made it to Atlanta, but that's what Derek's talking about. Uh, so my opponent, I told Derek Villanova, but then I got to thinking, if you can't truly play them home and home, like in their own arena, and Villanova, I know, plays smaller opponents at home on campus, but then they go and they play at the Sixers arena. So if it can't be Villanova, I really like the trip that I went on to West Virginia a couple years ago. It's not a far yeah. – it's not far – geographically they both could play a home and away Huggins and Cal I think that would be a fun one I still think at some point West Virginia is going to return and come to Rupp for that big 12 SEC challenge also like the game at Texas Tech that we went to both of those have been really good basketball games that we covered on the road Uh, so I would say Villanova or West Virginia would be my two and the tough thing about that question to me is like what really gets fans jazzed up like would people be excited to watch a Villanova or Gonzaga? I think so. I think people would be really excited. But then you think about some of the other good college basketball teams right now, like how fired up would people be to go watch Kentucky play Baylor? Like just the name brand alone. That's why, like, even a down North Carolina or Indiana, I think people would still be way more excited. Does that make sense? Do you agree with that, or am yeah. I wrong? If I agree with that because if, if you could give me Kentucky-Indiana every year right now, I think it needs to happen. I think that that needs to be a game every I mean, single North year. North Carolina, like, why why did that one go away? I don't understand why that home and away. That's the thing that I hate about the CBS Sports Classic. I hate it. Like, do away with it. Send Kentucky to Chapel Hill. Heck, send them to Columbus and play Ohio State home and away. Like, yeah. I would I would do that. I mean, just I hate the whole neutral site thing in December. You and I can both say how many people were there in New Orleans to watch Kentucky and UCLA a few years ago. That one was bad. Yeah, that turnout wasn't good in New Orleans. There have been some, like, I wasn't there. I bet the one in Las Vegas, so when Malik Monk went crazy, it was probably an awesome yeah. environment. The one in Chicago wasn't crazy a couple of years ago with PJ's no. team. That wasn't a good environment. I mean, no. I would. those are better games. Like, the last time that they played on campus was the year Devin Booker was at Kentucky. That's the last time Kentucky and Carolina played on campus. And the CBS Sports Classic can't get, like, I think the Champions Classic works because it's so early in the season. And you can make it like a prime event. People can go to New York City or wherever and uh, watch the start of the year in basketball. Whereas, you know, you get about a month into the season at the CBS Sports Classic, and that, I just think the timing of it's really weird. I mean, it's just hard to get. By the way, that'll be fun this year. Kentucky Duke at Madison Square Garden. Hopefully, hopefully it happens. I know. I'm hoping it does as we wrap up here on this episode. But yeah, I, I like that one. I remember the days, Derek, and you're younger. You're a few years younger than me. I remember Kentucky going to Michigan State and playing a home and away yeah. series. And I remember, you know, Kentucky, Indiana. Uh, those are the ones that I miss. Kentucky, North Carolina, early December, every single year. I think that's kind oh. of is, is that why is that why college basketball's products does that factor into it as well too? That you don't have those games on campus that are outside of conference games. I mean, that was that was fun. 
I think it would help everybody's excitement level if you had – no offense, I'm just the team I think of for some reason, like Georgia Tech, wasn't like, like a premier <laughs> opponent who came here in the non-conference one year, like their best home game was against like Georgia Tech. I mean, to me, if you're UK trying to sell a product, I guess you can get away with it. You don't really need the money that bad, I guess. At least they didn't used to. Maybe now with COVID that will change. Um, I just I don't understand playing all your best games in, in neutral courts either. Uh, but speaking of like the old games, like didn't they just play Indiana and Louisville sometimes, or they used to play somebody? In, or they would just play some regular like home games at Louisville, like yeah. semi home games at Freedom Hall. They would play some lower they, level teams. They there. would play Louisville. They would play uh, Indiana there, and then when it was Indiana's turn, it would be at the RCA Dome in Indy, is where they'd play the other one. Like it never was on campus. It finally Let's moved back to, to that. Just play at the Yum Center. Play Indy at the Yum Center. You'll play at uh, Luke, uh, not Lucas Ola, but uh, the Banker's Life, the Pacers Arena. That's a cool could, venue. To yeah, if you could give me, if you could give me Kentucky, North Carolina, home and away every year. Kentucky, Indiana, home and away every year, and then just throw in. It, it, honestly, it doesn't matter. Like I like the, I like the fact that we get to go to Michigan and we get to go to Notre Dame here in the next couple of years, and see and see those matchups. Michigan State would be another good one, though. I guess it has happened before, but that would be a cool one as well. I, I think uh, there's also there's a lot of options there. I just I wish that – and maybe you probably don't get it until Cal's time at Kentucky's up. Maybe whoever comes in and replaces Cal at some point when you start getting some of those, you know, home and homes and things like that. Uh, one more note, too. wonder what they're going to do with the SEC Big 12 Challenge with Kentucky-Texas next year. Do they just match those two up again? Does Kentucky go on the road again? Uh, it'd be obviously canceling that has made it interesting because you've got to move some people around. Uh, yeah, I'd probably do that. But I guess Kentucky's like on the road though, right? I mean, they were supposed to be home this year, and I, yeah, I don't know how that's going to happen. I don't, I don't either. You know, Kentucky, like that's the thing though. Don't they usually not take like teams with bad records from the leagues the year before? But like you know, Kentucky's still going to be in it. <laughs> yeah. So someone that had a decent year is going to get left out again. There's been a couple of years that Auburn was like in the top three in the league and didn't even play in the event. Like, <laughs> I mean, yeah. at what point do you fix that? You know Kentucky's going to Baylor at some point, the way that Baylor's trending now uh, into like one of the college basketball's recent powers. Uh, this whole scheduling thing, though, you we could do a full episode just on talking the possibilities of who Kentucky should play. Uh, we definitely appreciate that question and all the other questions. Uh, Derek, it's been good to get on here and do another mailbag episode. These are the episodes that you all create the content for us. We don't create it for you. You all asking the questions is why we like this, and we appreciate everyone who submitted. If we've missed something the last week, I know we didn't do a mailbag episode last week. I did take some questions. Some of them uh, were about the Arkansas game and stuff, so it's been so far back that we just decided to to move on. But if there are questions you want us to get to, send them to me, and we'll get to them on the on the next mailbag episode for sure if you want them answered. Uh, but We'll be back to recap exactly what happens in Knoxville. Kentucky obviously has a big one. If they could get this one, Derek, it would be another step in the right direction, building some momentum for Nashville. And then uh, we'll be back to talk about what happens between Kentucky and Tennessee. He's Derek Terry. I'm Sean Smith. We'll catch you next time on Kentucky Daily. 